Well, praise the Lord. What a joy it is to be with you uh, again this morning and as a special opportunity to open God's word with you, my dear friends, when, when Stacy was giving a, a brief introduction. He said, yeah, Brian's been around a long time. That's a gracious way of saying I'm getting old. <laughs> That's the way I interpreted that. Mm, it's true. I can't argue with it, so it's good. Uh, before I preach, I want to just share two quick thoughts with you. One is just a, a thanksgiving uh, for your prayers, for those of you that pray for Timothy 2 and the ministry that God is doing. And I think I speak for Stephen, Rissa, and Dan and Beth, as well as Ann and myself. Thank you for your prayers, because I've been in ministry a long time, actually 36 years now, and I've seen a lot of good ministry. But the fruitfulness of this ministry, it's a God thing. It's not a Steve and Rissa thing. It's not a Dan and Beth. It's not a Brian and Ann. I'm clear on that. It's a God thing. And so we praise God for that. But we're desperately dependent upon your prayers. So thank you to those of you who pray for Timothy 2 and the ministry. Uh, God is, is doing a marvelous work for his glory. Amen? And secondly, it's just observations. Uh, uh, I guess by way of encouragement to you, you know, we've been gone 18 years more or less, we'll be back once in a while, but basically, basically we've been gone for 18 years, and praise God for his goodness to Myrtle Grove. Amen? Yeah, it, it, there are many good things. Now, I haven't seen, we've only been back for a short time now, so I haven't seen a lot of things, but the things I've seen in terms of music and worship and word of God being preached and missions and what's going on on the missions team, they're not just good, they're excellent. So praise God. And praise God for what he's doing. I hope you're all encouraged by that because it is encouraging to me to see the work that God is doing. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. Uh, I think as is our, our what, custom here, Stacey, we're going to stand for the reading of the word of God. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 18, a very familiar passage. But uh, those of you who are able, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the line and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there, were, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. This is the word of God for you. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. 
And Father, you know how you want to take your word and how you want to shine it into our hearts more clearly than we see it today. And I know that that's a work of your Holy Spirit within us. And so, Holy Spirit, fill this broken clay pot. Lord, fill us, Lord, so we would have ears to hear what you have to say to us individually and corporately as a church. And so, may your name be honored and glorified, Lord, in and through the preaching of your word this morning. We ask it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think all of you know this, but Christmas is about Jesus, right? It's about Jesus. Now, when I say the name Jesus, different ones of you have different pictures or different perspectives, maybe, of that great name. Because the truth is, it's going to take eternity for us to understand and embrace the fullness of the greatness of the name of Jesus. But for now, what it means is, as we come to know Jesus more deeply, the one who's created you, the one who's redeemed you, as we get to know him more fully, we experience more of the abundance he came to bring to us. We encounter more joy. And and when we're in the the tough things of life, which everybody here goes through, we're able to, to walk through those struggles and trials of life in a much better way. So with this in mind, what the Lord's put on my heart this morning is to reflect on Jesus. Now, I know many of you know Jesus, you love Jesus, you've walked with him for many, many years, but I still think the Holy Spirit has something to say to us about Jesus and who he is, so we marvel at him more than we do right now. Now, the candle that was lit is called the Bethlehem candle. Some people call it the faith candle. It's right, it's good. Now, the object of our faith is Jesus. And if you're a Hebrew, like, like the shepherds, it's stunning to a Hebrew mind that, that the Son of God, the one who existed before the foundation of the world, would come in the flesh at all. That, that's an amazing thought to them. But then he would come in an era of struggle to, to a, a culture where struggle took place, to a poor family who struggled. Can you imagine Mary, eight and a half months pregnant, riding a donkey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's really amazing. And Jesus, the Son of God, being born in a place where animals were kept. Now, some think that's a cave. Some think it's part of a house. It wasn't the Hilton. Okay. It wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable. You know, in your Christians, you have this baby Jesus lying in this comfortable little manger thing. Okay, that isn't it. We've been to Israel. We've seen it. A manger is is a limestone trough. It's a piece of rock that's carved out. And so Jesus was clearly laid in the manger on a piece of rock is the way you need to understand this. This is not an easy thing. It's It's not a comfortable thing at all. And then the next stunning thing to the Hebrew mind would have been the people to whom God revealed that his Messiah was born. I mean, no one of any importance knew anything about Jesus' coming. I mean, a poor woman having a baby in a barn in this day, and probably in our day, actually, it's a non-issue. I mean, I mean, who cares is the way the culture would have thought about it. Yet God chooses to bring his very son to earth in hiddenness with zero fanfare. He chooses to reveal the incarnation of his son to shepherds in a field. Now, if you're a Hebrew, you're thinking, shepherds, really? You've got to be kidding me. Because shepherds in that day, 
They were hated. They were distrusted. They generally smelled bad, looked bad, had a reputation for stealing, had a reputation for coarse living. I can't think of an equivalent uh, uh, job in our day and age. They were the lowest of the lows in terms of their station in life. But isn't that God's way? Isn't that God's way? He delights to reveal himself to the, to the lowly, to the least, to the humble-hearted people in a society. And what they see is truly amazing. That's what we want to reflect on this morning with this theme idea. That as we see Jesus Christ for who he is, we marvel and worship before him. So there's a group of shepherds out in the field doing what they did every night. They're trying to stay warm. They're probably telling stories back and forth. Again, they had a reputation for off-coloredness, so off-colored stories, maybe lost in their own thoughts when all of a sudden an angel appears to them. God chooses to reveal to these poor shepherds an amazing thing. Now, now, as you think about this, he doesn't reveal himself to these shepherds because they're great. He doesn't reveal himself to you because you're holy. That isn't it. That's not it. He didn't reveal himself to you if you know him today because you're so good, because you're so great. He revealed himself to you because he's merciful, because he's a sovereign, merciful God who's chosen to show you who he is. And so all of a sudden, an angel appears to these humble shepherds, and the text tells us that the glory of God shone around them. Now, I've often thought, what, what would that be like? For the glory of God, you're, you're, you're watching, you're seeing, and the glory of God, you see it. Now, now, you may know this, but when the Bible uses the term glory, it means that when we see something of God for who he is, it brings him glory. That's, that's the definition of glory in the scriptures. And so the Lord manifests his presence, so these shepherds are aware of God's presence with them. Their, their senses are all heightened, likely. There was some sort of brilliance in the sky. We don't know exactly, but they knew that they were in the presence of, of the glory of God. And when somebody knows that, they, they respond to it. And, and most often the way they respond to it is fear. They're terrified. They've never experienced anything like this before. They don't know what this means, but, but they're standing in the presence of the awesome God of the universe. Now, I don't know how any of us would respond, probably in a similar fashion to, way, to the way these, these shepherds responded in this situation. But I have an observation for you to think about this Christmas season. Because when I look at the church, yes, here in America, in Africa, where we train pastors, I really don't see a lot of the fear of God. I don't see a ton. We sing about it, and we do have a sense of the presence of God, and that's wonderful. But I don't see a lot of people who say, wow, look at God. Look at who he is. Maybe in your spirit sometimes you're, you're sensing that. But that's what these shepherds feel when they see the presence of God. And I would suggest to you maybe this Christmas season that as you encounter the Lord Jesus, that you'd be filled with awe at the glory of God, as these shepherds are. Now, angels are messengers from God. And so this angel 
He encourages them first, don't be afraid. God is doing something amazing in your midst. And there's joy. The whole encounter, at least from the angel's perspective, is, is wrapped in joy, rejoicing at what God is doing in their midst. And he gives the message, today in the town of David, they knew what that was. They knew that was Bethlehem. A, a, a Savior is born. He is your Christ. Now, Bethlehem means house of bread. So I want you to picture the images that are being communicated in this passage. The bread who comes down from heaven has been born in the house of bread. Okay? And so what's bread in the Bible? Well, bread is what, what the Lord provides that fills us with what we need. We prayed in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Right? What are we asking for? The needs we have in this daily life. The Lord is the one who fills us with everything we need. Now you probably know the prophet Micah said the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, in the line of David, in the birthplace of this great Jewish king. And so the picture here is Jesus, the great king, who feeds us what we really need. That's what you're supposed to get from that part of the passage. And then the angel uses terms like Savior and Christ, Messiah. Christ, of course, is Greek, Messiah, Hebrew, for anointed one. So before the foundation of the world, God has chosen to reveal himself most clearly through his anointed one who he would send as light of the world, as savior of the world. Now, all of the Old Testament scriptures point to the coming Messiah. Now, I want you to think about this. You're a shepherd. And when you grew up, every night, they don't have TV, of course, or internet, all that kind of stuff you fill your time with in the evenings. What did they do? They told stories. And most of those stories were about your forefathers, your ancestors, those who came before you so you know who you are. That's how we know who we are. We, we look at God and he tells us, but it has something to do with, with those who've come before us. And so they know all the stories. They know that God has revealed himself to all these Old Testament saints from the past in different ways, but they all point to the Messiah to come. So you know all these stories. You've heard them over and over and over and over again. They're in the back of your mind all the time. Now, now, this is the way life works for you and me, too. This is a struggle. So we're, we're, we're taking care of this problem, and we, we're going to take care of this problem. Okay, that's the way most of us live, right? Well, that's true of them, too. And so that's probably how they're living. But in the back of their mind are these stories. And so all of a sudden, an angel appears to you and says... This thing that your ancestors have been looking forward to for hundreds and hundreds of years has happened today. It's happened in, in the city of Bethlehem. <laughs> it would have been a stunning thought. Like, what? <laughs> Even trying to take it in would have been a, a struggle for them. Now, all the prayers of their forefathers have been focused on this Messiah to come. And, and he's come in the form of a baby who's in a barn somewhere in Bethlehem. Now, the reason you know he's in a barn is, is, is the sign that the angel gives, right? Uh, he, a baby's been born wrapped in swaddling cloths. Well, that's normal, so that's not really the sign. And laying in a manger, that's not normal. Children are not laid in cattle feed troughs. Okay, this is not a normal thing. And so that's the sign they've been given. And so an angel appears to these shepherds with a word from God and, and tells them what God has done. And then the next amazing thing happens. There's not just one angel. All of a sudden, it's like God peels back the heavens for these shepherds. And, and they see the heavenly host who can't help 
But praise God for what he's doing in this hour. <laughs> they can't stop themselves. And they, they sing a, a song of praise that would have been the most beautiful, the most stunning thing these shepherds had ever heard before or ever would hear again until they met Jesus in heaven. His unparalleled beauty and a song which glorifies God for who he is and what he's doing in bringing his Messiah to earth. So the angels sing this song that speaks about God bringing peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now the Christmas carols actually don't have this correct. It's not peace to all men. It's peace to those like these shepherds who he's revealing himself to. And so God reveals himself to these humble shepherds by giving them his word through a messenger, an angel. And by showing them a glimpse of, of his glory in the heavens. And then they go to find and see the glory of God. When you see Jesus, when you think about baby Jesus, you should be thinking about the glory of God because that's what they're seeing. That's what's being revealed to them. And so they've been given this word of revelation about the Messiah who's been prophesied about over and over and over and over again. And they're seeing this Messiah for the first time. And, and they've encountered these angels and they're enraptured in joy and singing of the glory of God. And then all of a sudden they're gone. It's like... <laughs> I can picture the shepherds sort of turning to one another in this stunned silence, not being able to speak for a few moments. And then speaking to one another... We have to go and see this word that's been given to us, this revelation that's been given to us. The English is a little bit weak here. It's not wrong, but it's a little weak. This thing, the thing is the revelation, the rhema that God has given to his people, the shepherds in this case, about what he's doing in this hour. And so that's what they do. They go see Jesus. Now, I want you to recognize something here. That when these angels, they meet the living God in this way, as he's revealed himself, they're changed. That's what takes place. Now, I'm convinced, please listen to me here. I'm convinced, I'm talking about me here, but I think it applies to you also. I know some of you, but don't know many of you. But I still believe this applies. More than anything else, what I need is to know Jesus better. I'm not just saying that. I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. I, I need Jesus to show himself to me that I would know him more fully. You know, when I'm training pastors in Africa, I hear about the needs are, are just much, 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 much higher than what you encounter here in the U.S. And most of that's physical need, and that's what they speak about. But, you know, as we train them in the Word of God, they come to know God for who he is, the God of the Bible. And they're transformed by the Word of God. It's, it's wonderful to watch. We've heard pastors say things like, not once, many times, we've been worshiping a God we did not know. Now, my fear is, is that that's true in the American church also. Sometimes we worship this God who we really don't know fully. And these shepherds, when they, when they meet God, when, when they see something of who God is, they're transformed by the Word of God again. They go from being these isolated, fearful, unimportant people to those who've seen God in the form of His Messiah. 
They go from these bored shepherds in a field. I fear, I fear too many Christians are bored today. These shepherds, they're bored in a field. They go from that place to a place of transformation where they can't help but tell everybody they meet about what God has shown to them, about what they've seen, about what they've experienced of the goodness and the greatness of God. My dear friends, just like these shepherds, if we meet Jesus... We're transformed by the Word of God. That's how we meet Jesus, through His Word. We're transformed, and when we're transformed, we become like these shepherds, these humble shepherds. They, everybody they meet, they tell about the Messiah who has come and what He's done in their lives. It's not this, oh, you have to. It's not that. It's a, I can't help myself but share about Jesus and what He's done in my life. When that gets a hold of you, my dear friends, we are changed. Now, to reflect on this a little bit further... I want to look at another passage very briefly. It's not a Christmas passage per se, although in one sense all passages about Jesus, which are the Bible, are Christmas passages. But I want to look at Hebrews 1, 2, and 3. And listen carefully, because we're talking about this baby in a manger, these passages. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So in the passage, it says God speaks. He communicates because he wants a relationship with you. He primarily does that through his word. And so, so we, we learn of God and we respond back to God as his spirit gives us grace to do that. That's the relationship. And listen to me, because all relationships, every relationship you have, it deepens through communication. Do you agree? That's the only way, really. I mean, you experience things together, but that's a part of communication, right? And so God speaks so we can come to know him better. And, and, and we, we see in this passage who Jesus really is. He's the heir of all things. What, what's that talking about? Well, it's his position as son, which gives him uh, all the inheritance. If, you, if you're the only son or daughter of your parents and they both pass, everything they have becomes yours, right? And that's the analogy. And so Jesus, because of who he is, the, the very son of God, everything now belongs to him. Now, the father doesn't die. It's not a perfect analogy, understand. But it's his position of, as son that says he's the heir of all things. That means me. That's what it means. And, and, and you. So I belong to Jesus by definition. okay? Because he's made me. He's called me to himself. He's redeemed me. And I, I now belong to Jesus. All of, of who I am belongs to Jesus. He made all things. Now, because I belong to him, it means he can do whatever he wants with me. Do you agree? If you own something, can you do with it what you want? Isn't that the idea? Now, because he loves you, every action of Jesus towards you because of his character is out of his love for you. Praise God. Okay. If that weren't true, we would all be in, in trouble. And he doesn't just own me. He owns all things because he's created. All things were made through him. You know Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's verse 1. 
Verse 2, the Spirit's hovering over the waters. You remember in verse 3, God said, let there be light. That's, that's the Word of God. That's Jesus. That's all things are created through Him. It says He's the radiance or the brightness of God's glory, the exact imprint of His nature. The sunbeam from the sun is sort of the picture there. And Jesus reveals or points to the Father, who the Father is. So every time you see Jesus, you see the Father in his character perfectly reflected. I'm talking about his birth as well as his life and death and resurrection. You see, when we apply these things, usually we're thinking about his death and resurrection. Yeah, okay, that's, that's right. But it's talking about his birth also. Do you remember in, in uh, John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, that, that high priestly prayer we call it. And he, and he says, Father, glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And I've thought about this passage a lot. It's quite powerful if you think about what he's actually saying. He's saying to his father, Father, I know it's time to go to the cross. That's why Jesus came. He was born. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He came to die so he could be resurrected. That, that's why he came to earth. And so part of the glory of the Son is choosing to suffer for me and for you, being beaten with wicked fists, having being scourged and, and, and having the skin stripped off his back and sides, having nails pounded through his wrists and his feet struggling every breath in severe pain to catch a breath for the hours on the cross and then the moment of worst suffering by far, by far, is when the wrath of God is put on Jesus because of my sin, because of your sin. But you see, the glory of Jesus is the cross because there we see the love of the Son for us. We see it perfectly. We see it beautifully played out. Part of the joy, uh, let, let, me, let me go back to a, a, another verse in, in Hebrews 12 too. Jesus is, says this, For the joy set before Jesus, for him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You hear that? Scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the Father. The joy set before him. That's why he did what he did. What, what is the joy set before him? Well, well it's, it is the glory that will come to his name. Amen? That's part of it. Part of it is you. You're, you're part of the joy that's set before him. That, that you would be in a right relationship with him. He did it for you. Which is a stunning thought for me, my friends. And the Father, of course, gains glory for his name because his holiness is seen at the cross. He had to judge sin for you and I to be in a right relationship with him, and he did it on Jesus. His love is seen because he gave his son. There's a church in Zambia where I, I have done some training, and, and you know, when I'm in a community, I, I worship in a local church, often get a chance to preach there, and they have this saying that I really like. The pastor gets up and he says, we love you and we mean it. And then he has everybody turn to one another and say, tell the person beside you, I love you and I mean it. I, I like that, actually. But, you know, as I was doing that, and I, and I mean it, I love you, and I mean it, I do. But then I was reflecting on this passage, and I was thinking to myself, do, do I love these people enough to sacrifice my son for you? I don't, I don't think so, okay? <laughs> I don't think so. Which sort of highlights the depth of love of God for you. You see, in everything Jesus did, he perfectly reflected the character of his Father. He says in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so everything he did, again, starting with his birth, 
you see the character of God. How do you see the character of God in Jesus' birth? Well, in part, in fulfillment of, of all the prophecies about him, that he would come. But in part, think about the humility of Jesus. You saying God's humble? Well, in the sense that he's, he's bowed down and stooped down to love you, to be made in the flesh? Yes. That, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, was completely dependent upon Mary, his mother, for everything. How, how's that possible? I don't know, but that's true. <laughs> okay. And so you see something of the character of God there. When Jesus shows compassion to the woman, remember she had an issue of blood and she touched his cloak and was, was healed, or, or the blind man who called out to him, uh, uh, Jesus, son of David, save me. And, and Jesus healed him. Or I love the picture of the leper who comes and kneels before him. Do you remember that passage? And he says, the leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you remember what Jesus did? He reached out and touched him. He said, I am willing. Be clean. Leprosy is a horrible disease. Jesus could have stood across the street and said, be healed. And it would have happened, right? He could have done that. He didn't do that. He reached out and he touched the leper to show not just healing of his physical body, but, but a healing of his, his emotion, what was going on inside of him, you see. This is pictures of the radical love of God for me and for you. That's what it is. And when you look at Jesus, a baby in a manger, that's what you need to be thinking about, my friends, and marvel at who he is. The babe in the manger is the one through whom everything was created. The baby in the manger is the one who holds all things together by the power of his word. What does that mean? That means he gives you your every breath, your every step. The fact that you woke up this morning because of the baby in the manger. Okay. That's, what he, that's who he is as our Lord and our King. The one who... who supplies every gift you have, every resource you have. It's from the baby in the manger, okay? He's the one who gave all those things to you. Everything you have, I mean, biblically, it's not mine. It's Jesus's. I'm just a manager. I'm a steward over whatever I have. But everything is from him, and everything is for him, biblically. And so the Lord gives, and sometimes the Lord takes away. Some of you know that very well after Hurricane Florence, don't you? His love for you hasn't changed. He still loves you. His supply of you hasn't changed. Maybe the way it takes place, maybe what he helps you walk through in the midst of that, so you come to a deeper place of, of loving and knowing him. But his supply hasn't changed for you. So whether you're aware of it or not, Jesus, even in this moment, is upholding you. This is the baby in a manger we're talking about. Let me just close with, with one more thought and move towards application. The passage in Hebrews 1 we read says, Jesus made purification for our sins. Of course, he, he did that on the cross. But you remember the, the last words of Jesus, it is finished. What's finished? Everything that the Father had sent him to do had been accomplished. And so nothing else is needed for your salvation, for you to be in a right relationship with him, it's not you, it's not what you do, it's what Christ has done, you see, is the, the focus here. And so this holy God, he's the one who made you, he's the one who, who created,
created all things, this holy God, we can be in a right relationship with him only in one way, by faith in Jesus Christ, who's made us righteous. Now, when the work was completed, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Now, again, when a Jewish person reads that, they think, uh, no, that's wrong. Priests don't sit down. When they're on duty, they don't sit down, ever, actually. And so Jesus sitting down would, would say, something's wrong here. It's a statement. The statement is this. It's finished. The work is completed. Grace wins. Amen? There's nothing else you can do for your salvation. Christ has done it. Yes, we have to believe and receive Christ. Yes, I understand that. But it's what Christ has done. That's the focus here. It's his work. He's defeated sin. He's defeated Satan. Satan's still a liar, y'all. But you don't have to believe it. You don't have to give into it anymore. He's defeated death. It's a defeated foe. So Jesus, the Savior, this Messiah, the one through whom all things were made, the, the great high priest who opens the way to the Father, and much, much more. When you look at the baby in the manger, that's what you need to think about. We, we, we've, I don't know, sanitized. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, our little crush scenes, again, that's not wrong. We have one, okay? <laughs> it's okay, all right? But somehow we, we miss a little bit of who Jesus is in the way we do Christmas. So marvel at Jesus this Christmas. And as you marvel at him, I already know what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to change you. He's going to do something in your life, in your heart, where you can't help but say, i got to tell you about Jesus and who he is and what he's doing in my life. You're not going to be able to hold it in because of what God is doing. Well, how do you marvel at Jesus well, 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 it's all by grace. Grace abounds, okay? So don't, this is not a you got to. Don't hear that. Don't hear that. But we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That's the right way to think about it. The Holy Spirit is inviting you, saying, Jesus wants to sit with you this Christmas season. Now, I know you're busy. I, I get it, okay? Let's see. Today I have this. Tomorrow I have this. I was just reviewing with my wife before we came. Okay, Tuesday we have this. Wednesday we have Okay, that, that's what I was doing before I came. I, I get it. But the question is this, are we going to make time to respond to Jesus' invitation to sit with him, to marvel at him this Christmas? He loves you. He's inviting you. Sit with me. Marvel at me that you can meet me right where I am. God is a great God, my friends. He's done a great work. And so when you see the baby in a manger, marvel at who Jesus is. Would you pray with me this morning? And Father, uh, you know way better than I ever will how you want to take a word and shine it clearly into our hearts and lives. But I pray for my friends, Lord, the same prayer. I pray for myself that your Holy Spirit would, would open up my eyes to see Jesus for who you are. That's, that's what I want for all of my friends here today. I want them to see Jesus. I want them to marvel once again at who you are. So glorify your name, Lord. Glorify your name. As you give us grace to set aside time to seek you in the midst of the busyness of Christmas, glorify your name. Lord, show yourself to us. Reveal yourself to us in a fuller way than we've ever seen before. Father, that's our prayer, and I do believe that that is your heart for us as your children. And so we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen.